Hello, gang. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMA Fighting. Let's put that over a little bit closer. Yeah, MMAfighting.com. Uh, it's a little dark in here, for which I apologize, but I don't know how to fix it because I don't have any direct lighting. Uh, today on the live chat, we'll talk about, let's see, UFC 190 is Saturday. Ronda Rousey is returning against Betch Cohea. Seven fights on that main card. Kill me, please. Um, you also have the results from UFC on Fox 16. TJ Dillashaw putting on a virtuoso performance against Henan Burrell. Lots of other results there to get to. Believe it or not, World Series of Fighting, you know, not the brightest idea in the world to go head-to-head -head with Ronda Rousey or the UFC, but got to admit, not a bad card they got going on over there. So, um, fair amount to get to. Actually, a lot to get to. Uh, and, of course, best place to do that is on MMAfighting.com, where this post is located. Uh, if you're watching now, whenever you're watching, be it live or at any point in the future, give this video a thumbs up. My knuckles are busted, son. Look at that. This one's busted up, too. I think we did a bunch of grip fighting last night. Um, so you can do that. Uh, if you're watching, whenever you're watching, be it live or any other point, please be sure to share this post on Twitter, on Facebook, on Pinterest, on what's left of Google+. Just get out there and share. Okay. With that out of the way, <laughs> let's, get to, um, let's get to the results. Oh, and by the way, today's chat... Of course, never officially brought to you by, but old regular. Who's this one? Mom. Okay. I had one the other day. Swear to, I swear to God. I swear to God. It said bro. <clears throat> and I actually saved the can because I wanted to show you guys. I think it was for the Monday Morning Analyst. And then my wife threw it away. Ah, yes. Old reliable. I was going to have the Diet Barks, but there's no caffeine in that thing. You know what Coke, Diet Coke tastes like? It tastes like you ordered a mixed drink that wasn't very strong to begin with, and the bartender put too much ice in there, and then you let it sit, and then you were like, oh, here's my drink. I forgot about it. Let me try this Jack and Coke. Or is that Diet Coke? That's kind of what it tastes like. All right. First question, can we get into the most important story of the week, a Barbus selfie? I don't have my phone. Yes, I do. Um, can a 2016 calendar be far behind? Also, what fighter would you pick to put the guy who shot Cecil the Lion in the octagon with? Rousey, of course, because Rousey would uh, take her time, right, like she intends to do against Betch Cohea or says she intends to do. And there's something awesome about having a dirt bag get his ass handed to him by a woman. Which I'm sure he thinks is not even possible because he's an idiot. Uh, all right, real, first real question. Uh, Dillashaw, a Fox staple. If I were the UFC, I'd promote Dillashaw as a Fox staple. Young, good-looking champ with generally fan-friendly style. The title fight is a great incentive to tune in for the casual viewer. Oh, a free title fight? Cool, I guess I'll watch just like they did with Benson and Mighty Mouse. Also, considering the Bantamweight belt isn't exactly a moneyweight belt in pay-per-view products, so why not put him on free on the Fox platform? If Dillashaw wants to keep up with his progression, he really can turn into a star. What do you think? I think for, for now, it's a great idea. I thought it was good to have a title fight on Fox. Um, I had sort of missed it. I like the number one contender fights. You know, I thought Fabrizio Verdun versus Travis Brown 
was an appropriate choice. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not exactly my favorite way to go. I think putting title fights that ordinarily would not sell on pay-per-view is a good way to, to do it. And also, it's sort of an interesting experiment in putting Dillashaw from pay-per-view and then now on free TV. You get a sense of, like, look at the ratings he pulled on Fox. Because we always talk about, you know, what would the best fights do if they weren't on pay-per-view, if they were on actual TV? How would John Jones draw? What would Conor McGregor versus... Uh, Jose Aldo do on free TV. You know, we, we, we expect them to do bigger numbers than what we're accustomed to. And certainly I would not present what TJ Dillashaw does as the upper echelon of the product in terms of what it can do in terms of sales. But I guess what I would say is, you know, look at the ratings it did, which were great, uh, good, not great, but certainly by no stretch bad. They were good. They were good, um, at least by UFC and Fox standards. And um, that's, that's what I guess I'm trying to point out is, we know um, if you're only the numbers were good, but they weren't amazing, right? Because we always think about, oh, the stuff that goes on pay-per-view is amazing. It's the lower end of the pay-per-view product. I guess I'm just trying to point out is that like it's good to have stuff that you know people try to sell because now you know what it does on TV. And what it did on TV was good but not spectacular. So if it's only doing good but not spectacular on TV, why would you then put it on pay-per-view? I guess you could because there might still be a circumstance in which you can make money, but I don't really know that's the best choice if you're a consumer, you know. Um, this is stuff that will produce good ratings when offered for free, but not great. What kind of return can you reasonably expect when you actually put it behind a paywall? That changes the equation rather significantly, doesn't it? So for me, that's I, I always like seeing title fights, um, which are usually reserved for pay-per-view, put on free TV, see what kind of ratings they do. Because if it did really big ratings, you could say a move right back into pay-per-view space would be warranted in this particular case, at least for now, it's not. However, if they managed to put this cruise fight together, it's hard to envision a circumstance where that wouldn't go on, on pay-per-view. Um, and frankly, I, I, I almost would prefer it to be on pay-per-view if for nothing else, but the graphical treatment of it, like there, it needs to be treated almost artistically for what that is. And I mentioned this as a Monday morning analyst. And I'm going to bring it up again here. They need to find a way when they make that fight happen, Cruz versus Dillashaw, they need to find a way, if not just for that fight, but for future fights, of not cutting off the feet. Understanding who's winning that foot battle will be everything for that fight. It will be the key to understanding everything. Because um, I said on the Monday Morning Analyst, if you didn't see, you could watch Dillashaw Burrell from just below the waist. You could not even measure if they blocked out waist above and everything. You would still know who's winning. You would easily know who's winning. You could just tell who's winning. I mean, partly because one fighter will be stumbling and all on his feet, or off of his feet, I should say. But more than that, you'd be able to tell just from the angles that this guy's hitting and the movement and sort of one person moving and chasing the other one after the fact. Um, you know, finding a way to lower into the cage versus shooting on top would make a, a big difference. How, you know, how realistic or possible that is, I don't know. But if there was a way to lower technology and the video cameras into the octagon, almost like from a ref's point of view, but not actually equipping the ref with it, that would be huge. And I also don't know why they can't equip the ref with it, because I think that would be big, too. Uh, so it says, Conor McGregor versus Anthony Pettis. This guy has barely gotten to work at Featherweight, and already we're doing this. Okay. Luke, recently at UFC on Fox 16, Anthony Pettis said that he would be more than willing to fight Conor McGregor if and when he decides to move up to 155. Both fighters are two of the most dynamic stand-up artists in the sport today, and a match between them would simply be every MMA fan's dream fight. 
Showtime uses a variety of feints instead of his lightning fast kicks, which requires a certain amount of distance to be effective, blah, 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 blah. Uh, most of the opponents McGregor has finished have always met their end when they are backed into a corner, picked apart by well-timed punching combinations, dropped and subsequently finished for, with follow-up ground strikes. Question, isn't Pettis' tendencies backing up against the cage a perfect opportunity for Connor to implement his pressure boxing since it severely limits Anthony's kicking abilities? What are your thoughts and analysis on a potential matchup between Showtime and Mystic Mac? Um, I would certainly favor Anthony Pettis. I think uh, bigger for the weight class. I think the speed of Pettis would cause a bit of problems. McGregor a little too willing to get hit. I agree that the pressure boxing would back up Pettis. Pettis does have a tendency to retreat. He also has the ability to quick strike and then jump on something and then act on something after the fact, even against seasoned, defensively responsible fighters. McGregor just gives up way too many shots, way too many. And I've said this before, it's, he has a, I mean, a rock-solid chin. A rock solid chin, um, but I would like him to see be a little bit more defensively responsible against the better guys. And Pettis has his limits too, of course. Um, Pettis has a hell of a chin too. You know, look at the shots RDA was crushing him with. But you know, moving up to 155. I mean, I just this whole talk to me is just a non-starter. He has so much work to do at featherweight. It's scary. First of all, Chad Mendes is going to be getting another crack. Um, if he beats Aldo, for sure he's in for two more Aldo fights, or at least you know two total Aldo fights, if not three. Frankie Edgar's going to get, you know, his pound of flesh one way or the other. Um, you never know what's going to happen after that with maybe with Lamas or some other contender, Max Holloway, rising through the front. So, like, I know that cut to 145 is hard for him, and it's fun to think about a move to 155. I don't care about McGregor at 155 right now at all. Don't think about it. doesn't affect me. Um, you know, if he, took a, if he took a one-off there, I'd be cool with that, you know, Anderson Silva style with James Irvin and Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin and the like, that's fine. But, you know, he wasn't taking those super fights at one at 205 until he had amassed several title defenses. He is just and only the interim champ. And that's a worthy designation. It's, it's a meaningful one. It's an impactful one. He is at the beginning of his journey. He is not at the end. He is not at a point where it makes any sense to start pushing him around weight classes. But for the fact that the cut to 145 becomes no longer doable. As long as it is doable, difficult but doable, I don't care about 155 talk at all. Someone asked this last time, and I sort of laughed at the question. How many European champions will there be by the end of this year? Uh, and you laughed it off, told me maybe one. Now we have Joanna, that's one. Sort of McGregor interim, that's a 1.5. Gustafsson and Orlovsky, I don't like either of their chances, but you never know. Uh, and then Habib Nurmagomedov is close. You know what's so funny, man? It's Okay, so I, I wanted to verify it. It's true that um, the part of the – like Azerbaijan is considered is considered part of Europe. But it's almost laughable to do that. You know what I mean? It's almost laughable. Like, who is the... Uh, I have a buddy from Azerbaijan. They don't consider themselves... Um, they don't consider themselves Europeans at all. I mean, there's two different sides. There's a Russian side and then basically the Iranian side, more or less. And he comes from the Iranian side. He speaks Farsi. But he thought it was sort of laughable that you could call these people European. I mean, I guess you can call them European if you want, but, you know... A bunch of Dagestanis who are Muslim and from a, a range of uh, tribes that have and peoples that have almost nothing to do with the rest of Western continental Europe. You know, if you want to claim that as part of Europe because it's technically true, that's fine. But there's not a lot of like cohesion there from an identity standpoint. But OK, maybe him as well. So you could give up two and a half. 
I give McGregor a full one when he takes the title from Aldo. Until then, it doesn't count. And really, they only put that belt up there because they didn't want to have a main event with a belt with with no belt when they had a co-main with a belt when it comes to uh, 189. So, you know, you could take issue with me if you want, but, I mean, you know, the president of Azerbaijan, Ilham Aliyev, super European. All right. Best pay-per-view, Luke. Which of the five fights would do the best pay-per-view rank of the six fights? Jose Aldo versus Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey versus Cyborg, Robbie Lawler, Nick Diaz, two, John Jones, Cormier, two, Weidman, Rockhold, Dillashaw, Cruz. Dillashaw, Cruz will probably be last, not because it's not good, but it's pretty stiff competition. Probably Aldo McGregor, number one. I put Jones, Cormier at two. Um, you might put Rousey, Cyborg at three. I put Weidman, Rockhold at four, Lawler, Diaz at five, and then Cruz. Someone's asking about uh, any any numbers for UFC 189 yet. Apparently, MMA payouts that it was 950k. Our own um, Dave uh, Dave Meltzer put it right at about that same number. So might be just at one million, or just shy of it. Poirier versus Duffy. Is this your most anticipated fight of the announced 2015 fights thus far? Also, who you got? Um, you know, we're going to see how good Duffy is. So, so, so far, he has shown flashes of brilliance, you know. Um, totally capable as a striker, calm in the pocket, calm at all points, like loves the moment, which I think is, I think is just so critically important. You know, some fighters like to be calm to be good. Some fighters like to be angry to be good. Some like to be happy to be good. They all have different states that bring about the best responses from them as far as it relates to professional fighting. He just seems to be in a stage where it's, you know, like he's listening to Pharrell's happy song or something like that. It's crazy. Um, has shown a tremendous guard as we've seen great passing, uh, a big punch, good distance, good defensively responsible, good use of distance, I should say. Um, he's great. He seems to be great. Poirier is a tough challenge, man. Super tough challenge. I guess I would lean Duffy, but uh, a guy like Poirier can make you pay, especially the way he's been fighting at 155 of late, a little more defensively responsible himself. Um, that's, a t that's a tough fight. It's a very, very tough fight. And I commend Poirier for getting back on the horse, you know, and, and, and jumping back into the belly of the beast and trying to take on Duffy in Ireland, man. That's not easy to do. He's going to have a raucous crowd at his back. So, is it my most anticipated? I don't even think about fights that way anymore, to be perfectly honest. But I would just say that it makes me really, really happy. It is, it's the kind of fight that needs to, that needs to be made. It's, it's an important fight for, uh, obviously, the market. It's an important fight for Duffy. I, I've been saying it all along. I mean, there's all this attention on McGregor, and there well should be. Um, he, has, he, he is great for MMA, and he's great for my job, and he's great for fun and entertainment, and he's great because he's an awesome technician. Like, there's... Many, many reasons to like him, but it seems like it's like it, – it, I just feel like the Irish are a little bit all or nothing with him when, in fact, there might be another guy who is even better. We'll see. We'll see who might be even better than him. Uh, not the big name or the big personality or any of those other things that come along with the McGregor show, but when it comes to skills, 
your boy Duffy might be might be your guy in Ireland. We'll see. We'll, we'll see what he can do. But I am so far um, very impressed by him. Very impressed. Uh, another question: Duffy versus Poirier. Uh, can you break down how you think this fight will go on the feet and on the mat? Um, I don't know. Is it too early to think that Duffy would have a ground advantage given the level of experience Poirier has? Yeah, I think that would be a little bit premature. Um, I don't know what kind of a scrambler Duffy is on the ground. I can tell you that Poirier is a very good scrambler on the ground, right? And he needs to be taken into account. And he never discount that Poirier, who he trains with, the access to wrestling that he has. Duffy might be more naturally talented. I think you could maybe make that argument and has acclimated really well in terms of his training, but um, what does he have access to? I think that's a big question as well. I'm not saying he can't scramble, just saying in that sense, Poirier is a little bit more of a proven commodity. Um, you know, Poirier has excellent submissions and excellent submission defense. I don't think Duffy would run over him in that capacity, but then again, Duffy is very, very crafty. Good use of transitions. Like beating good guys, like if you want to submit a good guy, you can do the Hodolfo Vieira. If you guys don't know who Hodolfo Vieira is, he might be the best guard passer in jiu-jitsu, but here's his game. Or Bernardo Faria, uh, Faria, however you pronounce it. He's a black belt. He didn't get his black belt under Marcelo, but he's a black belt at Marcelo's. He just double-golded at the Worlds, okay? Um, and I think he double-golded at the Pan Ams too. Whatever the case, everyone knows Bernardo's game. Everyone knows it. Over-underpass. That's his game. He covers one of your legs with his body. He controls it. He has one. You have one of his legs, one of your legs over his shoulder, and he just slowly pressure passes into you. That's what he does, and he does it to everybody. Now, there are a different number of finishes he can pass. Um, he can do a knee bar with the leg he's controlling. He beat uh, Urbeth Santos doing that at the last Worlds. Um, but that's his game, over-under pass. He's got a new DVD set out. Okay. To do that to other black belts is ridiculous. And there's a tournament, I can't remember which one, I think it was like 2009, Hodger Gracie had seven cross chokes from the mount. To take someone down and then pass and get in mount and just control them into a submission, you have to be extremely high level to do that. Extremely high level. And frankly, neither Poirier nor Duffy is that guy, both offensively and neither are so bad defensively that they're going to allow that kind of thing to happen to them. They're just, they're just not, they're just not the guy. Okay. But most importantly, offensively, they're not the guy, but where you catch Duffy making some interesting choices and how he got Ivan uh, George was in transition. It, it's, if you're extremely good, then everyone can know your game and you can just march on into it and then just plow into them and, and over them. But that's reserved for the guys who are taking double golds at worlds. Okay. Everybody else, you got to trick people. You got to get them thinking left and you go right or, you know, metaphorically speaking. And that's what Duffy did. Duffy got that triangle in transition and then finished it as he righted himself. Talked about it at length on the, uh, on the um, Monday Morning Analyst. That kind of scenario, I would give him a good shot at maybe submitting just about anybody, you know, to take somebody and launch unusual offense from a position where it's not typically launched. Also, he has a long body type, which he has excellent use of his long range both from a boxing standpoint and from a jiu-jitsu standpoint. Um, that can be a liability from wrestling, but we'll see. So there's still a lot of questions about Duffy. You know, there's a lot of interesting answers that we've seen so far, but you only get the really clear answers when you fight someone like a Poirier 
or another 155 or who can wrestle, who I think we're going to need to see him against as well. Um, but so far from what he's shown us, Duffy is a tremendous talent. Tremendous. Uh, two, what fight would you have as a viable co-main? Gunny versus Wonder Boy. I'd take that in two seconds. Sure. That'd be fun as hell. Is it safe to say that Dublin will be an annual, annual stop for the UFC for the next five years? I think that's a fair statement to make. Sure. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts. You know, if and when McGregor leaves the sport, might not be an annual trip anymore. But, you know, who knows what the sport will be in five years. Maybe it'll be where they have, you know, a, an office in Ireland and they just hold regional shows there. I, I, you know, you never know which way the business is going to go. But seems safe to say that if you're in Dublin, save your cash. You might have a UFC show coming a little more regular than normal. All right. Uh, Dana on Twitter. Luke, do you think there will be any ramifications in regards to the growing? <clears throat> excuse me. Do you think there will be any ramifications in regards to growing the UFC after Dana seemingly bullied anyone that dared criticize anything about them? What are your thoughts on the whole ordeal? Well, if you want to look at a case study and how to handle that poorly, that's about as good as you're going to find. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what exactly he was thinking there, uh, except to say. Except to say the following, if you think any of that is going to get people to boycott the UFC product, you're dreaming because it won't. It won't. It won't do any of that. The UFC is basically the sport at this point. Like people who say, I'm going to boycott UFC. It's not like Bellator is a viable alternative. Bellator is a uh, legitimate supplement or a legitimate um, but not equal alternative. But it's not a true alternative. Like if someone wanted to someone wanted to boycott Bellator, how easy would that be? Very, because you still have all of the UFC left. But to boycott UFC and say I'm not going to watch anymore, I just don't think that's realistic. Unless you're like very, very casual about the sport, you just don't really care about missing it. But if you watch the sport at all, you're saying, "Yep, no more Cain Velasquez for me, no more Ronda Rousey for me, no more Conor McGregor for me." No more John Jones for me. No more nothing for me. That just to me just doesn't make any sense. If you're a real fight fan, that's what you want to watch. And whether or not Dana White is mean to his fan base and berates them and insults them in the most juvenile way imaginable is, is frankly, in regards to your choices as a consumer, probably irrelevant. However, that doesn't mean there aren't any costs to it. Number one, as we've seen and I explained last week, when you have this much antipathy being directed at your partner and what the UFC is trying to do is build partnerships bigger and bigger and bigger with all of these other companies this is a partnership business that's what that's what sports elite sports business is is a partnership business they have partnerships with Harley Davidson partnerships with Anheuser-Busch partnerships with Metro PCS partnerships with you name it on and on and on and on and on it's a partnership business right why would you take actions that you know won't affect your brand, but would send unbelievable amounts of negativity towards your partners, seems to me inexplicable, utterly inexplicable in terms of just like how to think about this. Why would you antagonize your own fan base um, in the midst of an event where they're unhappy about some of the choices you made when just being silent would probably go a long way towards fixing that problem? Um, you know, I think it's probably because from a calculated standpoint, 
as I mentioned before, I don't think UFC actually believes it'll affect their business, and I think they're right. I don't think it actually will, but I do think it'll affect the way in which the partners are treated, which makes it a bad idea. I do think it affects uh, White over the long term and how fans perceive him and what you can reasonably do with him as a promoter in the sport. I do think it'll have that effect um, if it already hasn't. Um, and uh, I just also think it's just a really bad look for the brand, you know, outing USA Today or whether or not they outed USA Today. And USA Today has denied it. But, you know, Ben Folks made the point on the Come In Event podcast quite correctly that if you are if you are actually a partner with them, or at least the UFC perceives that you're in a partnership with them at some capacity, at some point when he feels the need, he will just air uh, his grievances about the terms of the deal publicly, if there is such, in fact, a deal. Like, so telling all potential partners, um, this is a risk you run doing business with us. Like, why you would do that doesn't make any, That that's just not the best way to handle it. I don't know how anyone could argue like this is a good way to handle it. Um, doesn't really seem doesn't really seem like a great choice to me. Rather than just being silent, and I but you know I'm almost glad for it in a way because it lays bare the argument about why Dana White stopped doing those scrums. He had initially, I think, publicly tried to make an argument that it was because media misquoted him. Look, I can tell you when we do articles about him, we are very very strict about how we quote him making sure it's accurate, making sure it's fair, making sure he gets, um, you know, that we word him in a way that is in keeping with the point he tried to make uh, or things he said or whatever the case. We were very, very diligent about it. No one's ever perfect, but it's definitely a high priority for us because you just want to make sure you all, you never want to give anyone a, a, an excuse to, to, be, to, to call out your coverage in that way, particularly with someone who has that much sort of relevance for the sport. Um, but that was never really the actual argument. That was just something they had to make up for, you know, public consumption. Pretty clearly, it's because when he gets angry about these things and he goes and he lashes out, it's a liability for the for the company. Insofar as we saw it for the for the lawsuit or bad press or whatever, and I don't think that bad press actually maybe affects the brand um, in the short term for sales. Maybe it has one in the long term, which I've kind of already explained. But for those plaintiffs in the fighter lawsuit, it was hugely valuable to them. It was hugely hugely valuable to them. And that's where it all comes from. So at least now I think everyone can dispatch with the notion. And I had some of you argue with me on this live chat about it, that it was actually about we had misquoted him and not MMA fighting necessarily, but the MMA media. That had nothing to do with it. It had nothing to do with it. It's that those comments, while I think some people like the brashness of it, some people like what they perceive as the candor of it, it has liability in terms of how you manage your brand. The more corporate you want to get, the less you can talk like that. Folks, you can get mad at all the different corporations in the world for corporate speak. Do you know why they do that? Because it works. Because it's important. And it may not be it may be unsatisfying to have those kinds of conversations or at least those statements passed down to you from corporations, but they do it because they have to. Because the alternatives to it are not superior. They have all sorts of costs associated with them. And that's why they don't do it. It's not because they don't have balls or it's not because they don't you know um you know want to keep it real it's because as dave Chappelle easily pointed out wu-tang keeping it real can often go wrong all right Bellator dynamite challenge by nikki holtzkin 
Luke, my fellow citizen, Nikki Holtzkin challenged Paul Daly in a kickboxing match at Bellator Dynamite event. What do you think of this match? Uh, hope they make it. Um, it's not as far-fetched as you might think it is. Um, Paul Daly, I don't know. I mean, he's having this issue where he's – I thought he looked better in his last fight, although he beat a guy he's supposed to be relatively easily. But he didn't miss on as many of his punches as he did the last time. I thought he had a better command of range. At Bellator, what, 140? Um, Holtzkin is probably the superior kickboxer, but Daly still has the ability to starch people. Um, and people don't really realize how big his win over Stetsarenko is in kickboxing. He, uh, when, when was that? That was not too, too long ago, I don't think, was it? Let's, where's his kickboxing record? Here we go. Yeah, it was last year. Stetsarenko in 2014, about a year, about a year and a half ago, um, and he's been crushing donks ever since. Now, not nearly the same level, but he beat Stetsarenko at 40 seconds of the first round, starched him, I think, with a left hook. Right? Um, I'm not saying he's anywhere near the level of Nikki Holtzkin. I would favor Nikki Holtzkin to win, but that might be a surprisingly competitive fight, at least early. I frankly think it's more competitive than Raymond Daniels. Raymond Daniels is like one hell of a showman, arguably the most exciting style of fighter in glory, like irrespective of weight class. But I was there in Hampton when Holtzkin just dismantled him. It was just, you know, a matter of time, really. Backing him down, taking away his space, taking away his movement, and then picking him apart. Uh, and I don't, I don't expect their August fight to be very different, but I guess we'll see. So sure, man, if they can make that fight happen, it would be huge. So we'll see what happens with Holtzkin. I think he's got, uh, yeah, when is that fight? Let's see, Glory, what is it, 22, 23 at this point? So 23. Glory 23. Holtzkin versus Daniels. Yeah, August 7th. You know, if he gets out of there unscathed, maybe they can make a fight with uh, with Daly. I don't know if they want to wait that long to announce it, but maybe they might. Fight pass. With the hiring of the new ex-Yahoo exec, Eric Winter, to specifically oversee Fight Pass, what kind of changes do you expect? Now, I got an email about this. Let me pull this up, and I saw someone else confirm that they had gotten this as well. Someone got a survey they were giving out to UFC fans who were Fight Pass customers, and this is what the questions were. So they had a list of questions, and they had a list of answers. Answers being five, extremely interested, four, very interested, three, Somewhat interested. Two, a little bit interested. Number one, not interested at all. Okay? So those are your five choices. The questions were from Fight Pass, what would you like to see? The choices were as follows. UFC pay-per-view event replays available to you sooner than 60 days after the live event airs. If this were me and I were answering that, I would say extremely interested. Profiles about UFC fighters. To me, I get a lot of that with, uh, I don't know if John Anik's show is still living on the air, but I get plenty of profiles from written stuff and from all kinds of different ways. I don't. That, to me, I don't really need Fight Pass investing in that. So to me, I would not be very interested in that. But again, all answers will will vary. Behind the scene documentaries on the UFC business, I'd be moderately interested in that. In depth documentaries on fighters and UFC events, uh, I'd be I'd be moderately interested in that. Uh, unique UFC facts and moments, not very interested. These kinds of highlight shows should be reserved for YouTube or you know, some kind of real show on Fox Sports 2 or something. Uh, where are they now with former Ultimate Fighter show contestants or with past MMA fighters? I'd be moderately interested. 
uh, UFC roundtable analysis of upcoming fights. I'll say this about that. They did a pre-show hosted by our own Ariel Hawani. I watched it on Fight Pass. I think it was Ariel, Brian Stan, um, Daniel Cormier, and I believe I believe Anthony Pettis was on there at the same time. Thought it was great. Um, if they mean that, I'm kind of in favor of it. I like having that on there. I don't like having to switch between channels, though. Like, when that ends, you have to go and then find the prelims. It should all kind of bleed together, I feel like. But, okay, um, I could be okay with that. But um, I, I still feel like if you watch Fox Sports for football, if you watch them for, to a lesser extent, soccer, but certainly for football or baseball, I still feel like I think Brian Stan and Daniel Cormier are amazing. I really and truly do. I think they're, they're two of my favorite guys to watch. I still feel like some of the analysis – of the events and the fighters is a little too accommodating for the UFC. I'd like it to be a little bit more realistic. And so when you say, would you like to have roundtable analysis of upcoming fights? The answer is yes, provided we actually got some people being like, this is a trash fight. And you can say, oh, Luke, how ridiculous is that? They're never going to say that. Well, then I'm not that interested. You know, but if you're going to be realistic about it and call things great when they're great and then bad when they're bad, then I'm on board. Uh, reality show with UFC fighters, format different than the Ultimate Fighter. I'd be interested in that. I mean, you know, curious anyway. Uh, reality show with Dana White, personally not that interested. Reality show with Chael Sonnen, personally not that interested. I like Chael a lot, but, you know, it's not nothing I want to see. Uh, reality show with Matt Serra. I know some of you guys might have a different opinion, personally not that interested. Uh, UFC highlight show, not that interested insofar as Fight Pass content. I want to see – I want – like, it's real simple what should go on Fight Pass. Live events. Live events. High-end live events to the extent possible. Anyway, they sent out this survey. So it's interesting that they're already thinking about what are ways that we can enhance the brand here. Um, they didn't include, like, a UFC news show, like UFC Live News, um, which I think would also be an interesting way to, to, to enhance the product. But, okay, whatever. All right. Fantasy tournament featherweight. Luke, how do you see this tournament going, fighting all on 145? Jose Aldo, Dominic Cruz. I didn't see how, I don't know. Uh, I'll say Aldo just for S's and giggles. Pettis and Mendez. Um, I guess Pettis, if it's a five-round fight. McGregor versus Burrell, uh at 145. Probably still McGregor, but he gets hit a lot, man. Uh, Dillashaw versus Edgar. Probably Dillashaw. So that would be Aldo Pettis, probably Aldo. And then McGregor, Dillashaw. Uh... I would say Dillashaw. I know that's going to drive some of y'all nuts. And then Aldo Dillashaw. Um, I don't know. Dillashaw might have something for him. But I'd be open to, I'd be open to any of those fights. Uh, UFC issues safety memo due to proximity of hotel to favela. Luke, I saw a story that Front Row Brian posted on the UFC issuing a crazy safety memo due to the proximity of the hotel to the favela. Is Brazil that bad? Some of the things it mentions is for fighters and camps, 
who choose to leave the hotel compound, we urge you to be extremely aware of your surroundings. We also encourage you, if by traveling by taxi, always use the hotel recommended and market registered vehicles. Make sure it is metered and never negotiate a price. Avoid the private minibuses that are around town serving as taxis. Lock the doors as soon as you get in. Um, I have had plenty of people who go to Brazil and never had an issue. I've had some that have gone and had an issue. Um, Brazil has, you know, parts of it are the most regal first world things you can imagine. And then they also have this issue where it's juxtaposed right next to third world style favelas. So um, if you've never been to South America, a lot of South America is like this. You know, it's, it's, South America is rapidly developing and changing overnight and moving into a, a much more first world territory, but it can't leave part of that third world territory behind. So for example, I went to Bogota two summers ago. Uh, I'm going back to Colombia next month in September. Um, nothing happened to me. I had one of the best times of my life. I'd go back to Colombia in an instant, you know, but you got to understand. And I think the word is racist and they don't think it's racist, but it is racist. The word gringo, when they see you, man, they know, they know you're a target. They know you're a target. I walk through, I think it's the Plaza de Bolivar, the one downtown in Bogota by, um, the Exeternado University, okay? And you can see it where they've had protests and concerts and everything else. The second I walked in there, every guy trying to sell a trinket was right up on me, you know? And nothing happened. They were just trying to sell trinkets. But that's how you get your pocket picked. You know, that's how you get... No one's going to mug me. It was broad daylight. But you know what I mean? You can get your purse snatched, something like that. Um, and the thing that I found funny was they have there are taxis you can flag and just get in. But then there are called safe taxis. And the safe taxis are actually ones that have like marks on them and they have relationships with like local businesses or like restaurants or hotels. Um, they have dedicated lines you can call them or on your on your phone, you can like page them. Tapsy was the app that we used. If you are a native Colombian, you can probably just get in a any old cab and you'll be fine. But if you're like me and you're a big ass American gringo. You need to do things the right way. You need to go to the safe taxis, which are registered. You need to catch cabs outside of hotels or restaurants. You just need to you just need to be careful because if you walk around, you know, um, drunk, not protecting yourself, acting like you can just do any old random thing, yeah, you know, it's not it's not um, it's not Georgetown, you know, it's not. You got to be a little more careful than that. But I also think you get the wrong impression to think that this is some third world slum, you know, uh, run by mobsters that getting in and out of is some dangerous exercise. It's not quite like that at all. South America is an emerging, changing, often contradictory place. You have to be careful. You have to mind what you're doing. Um, you got to be aware of, you know, what you're doing, but if you're careful and you properly plan and you're not an idiot, you know, which is to say you can't have fun. Just don't be a effing idiot. You should be just fine. You should really be just fine. I've done it. I've seen it. I've lived it. I stick out like a sore. Seriously, when I went to Columbia, I want to join their national basketball team because I bet I could dunk on all of them. They're all five foot nine and below. Everyone there is tiny. It's ridiculous. I could barely fit in anything. Um, um, so I stick out like an incredibly sore thumb, but I didn't have any problems, even when I was on my own walking around a little bit. You just got to just don't be an idiot. And if you've traveled extensively, you know how to not be an idiot, how not to stand out, how not to draw attention to yourself. Although it was funny, I went to the gold museum there. They have a museum where they have all these like, uh, artifacts 
uh, archaeological artifacts that have gold in them from ancient civilizations and um, Spanish conquests and the like. And um, there was a school tour there, like all little kids. And I don't know if they've never, I mean, they must have seen Americans before because there's lots of tourists there. But I don't know if they had seen one my size. I remember I walked in and my wife started laughing because all the kids were like Godzilla pointing up. You know, you stick out, you stick out. And these fighters stick out. They got cauliflower ear. They may be wearing Reebok gear. They're all going to be at the same hotel. Word's going to spread. You know what I mean? That's the other part. Like when you go to, if you've ever been to a UFC event, and I go to UFC events very rarely, but when I go and I see people out in the street, you know, the first question they ask me is, hey, where are the fighters staying? Right? And if you're close to a place that's a slum, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. But if you think that like this, like Brazil is some s hole that you should never visit, you are absolutely in the wrong. All right. Someone says, "Watch City of God." Yeah, that's like saying, "Go, go watch Boys in the Hood." Isn't that an accurate representation of America? Uh, someone says, fun little note for this weekend's pay-per-view card. It's a fight week, and UFC 190 has been untouched by injuries, replacements, or cancellations top to bottom. Is it just me, or have the injuries relatively died down as of late? Then my boy, MJC, flipped the script from Fightmetrics, says, six of the 10 2015 events where both the main event and co-main event stayed intact have occurred within the last 13 events, 34 events in 2015 total. So, yeah, it's been a little bit better, but it's still pretty bad. Only 10 out of 34 events have had the top two fights go on as planned. Only three of those were pay-per-views. So take that for what it is worth. Uh, UFC 190, is there any possible scenario where Kohea beats Rousey? How does she do it? Here's what I would say. There is no circumstance where I would ever bet on Kohea to beat, to beat Rousey. Never. It'll never happen. Okay? Um, but if you've been watching the sport long enough, you've seen crazy upsets. I remember when Sukaju beat Lil Nog. And I, I was actually at, at a place I lived in Arlington at the time. I remember watching that with a friend. Um, and I remember when Sarah beat GSP, I was at a Hard Times Cafe at, in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I was actually watching it with Matt Masterson, who at the time was a fighter for Strong Style Fight Team, which is the team where Jessica I and Stephen Miocic come, comes from. I don't know if Matt's still fighting or not. Um, and um, it's these kinds of seminal moments you never forget. Look, MMA... Your success, people always like, oh, upsets happen in MMA. Well, why? Why are upsets more frequent in MMA? Why is it so hard? Is it the small gloves? Yeah, partly. That's a big component of it. Um, but generally, the way I like to explain it, and this is why GSP fought the way he did, I think, throughout the latter half of his career, your ability to be successful in MMA is predicated on your ability to control for chaos. I'll say it one more time. Your ability to have success in MMA is predicated on your ability to control for chaos. The more elements of random chance, of bad luck, of just, you know, a coin flip not going your way that you can eliminate and just make it about the skills where you dominate versus the skills where they don't, the better off you'll be. The more you allow those other factors to play, the worse it will be for you. Now, maybe that still won't matter even with the odds being what they are, but that's that's my response. Like the idea of letting Kohea stay in a fight um, 
for sadism. And sadism is, isn't against the rules. Evading a fight is against the rules. Not cowardice exactly, but just not engaging. That is not against the rules. Satan uh, is against the rules. Sadism is not. There's nothing in the rules against sadism. Uh, I think a referee might have a responsibility to step in that point, but it's not up to the fighter to be less sadistic. Um, but the idea of keeping Koheya in a fight to the extent she actually does it, and maybe it's just talk, but to the extent she actually does it, to me seems like a terrible idea. Because you are allowing the factors where you're not matching skill for skill anymore come into play. Or not directly matching skill for skill. Right? You're allowing the chance that she could wing an uppercut and you were just horsing around and then you get stung. Right? That seems like a bad idea. Or, you know, you move this way when you're supposed to move this way and you eat a shot and then everything changes. Or you turn your ankle and everything changes. Or you land on your back and something happens to your back and everything changes. You just don't want to do that. You want to get in and get out with efficiency, which is exactly what she's been doing and which is why she's been such a celebrity. And I know that, you know, she's had these talks of treating Kohea sadistically um, and you want to give people a bang for their buck, but there's seven fights on the card. Not very good, but at least there's more up. Well, actually, I think it makes it worse, but whatever. Some folks might say having more fights on the card makes it better. Um, so can Kohea win? Not in all likelihood. But this is a sport where the most amazing and unreal things happen when you least expect it. Um, never, ever, ever make a pick in MMA. And I made this mistake a number of times. Never, ever make a pick in MMA and be like, that other person has no chance. They have a chance just by virtue of MMA being MMA. Ask Danny Lefevre if he agrees with that. Uh, do you think Burrell moving up to 145 now is the way to go? I look at the situation like Poirier totally dominating. Excuse me. I look at the situation like Poirier totally diminishing returns at 145 for the size advantage alone. That 10 pounds is a big deal. At 145, Burrell would probably retain a speed advantage, improve his cardio, and mostly, and most importantly, mitigate his damage absorption. Trading in all that for a size disadvantage at 135 is so gratuitous. How sick would a fight be between Burrell and Mendez? Right, but then you got your stable mate at 145. That's probably why he's been going to 135 this whole time. Also, with the IV ban looming, cutting to 135 without an IV for Barrow is a serious long-term health risk. I agree. I agree. Uh, Joseph Benavidez versus Henry Cejudo at UFC 191. This will obviously be for the flyweight number one contender spot. If Cejudo wins... He won't have to prove anything else beyond the opposition in Benavidez. Well, if Benavidez wins, he'll be back on a solid win streak, and there's really nobody left besides Formiga, who Benavidez destroyed. Could you break down this fight, and who do you have winning? Um, the question is, could Benavidez take down Cejudo? I don't know. This is not Olympic wrestling. This is MMA in you know, very, very different, totally upright position, not hunched over, protecting your ankles, the hips, and knees. Um Um, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put him past it. What we know is Cejudo, excuse me. What we know is that Benavidez is not going to get submitted by him. Um, the question is to what extent can Cejudo take him down? Excuse me. Well, yes, that's one. The question is to what extent can Benavidez take him down and hold him down? 
And the other question is, how would Benavidez strike? I tend to think that he might strike on the outside and stick and move. I think he's a little bit lighter for the weight class, a little bit more natural there, a little bit more mobile in the pocket. Um, you know, I like Benavidez's chances to win, to be perfectly honest, but we'll see. True or false, UFC 190 does over 450,000 pay-per-view buys. If it was stateside, I'd say no problem. Um, man, being in Brazil, I just don't know. Like I said, if it was here, no problem. Um, I'll say true. Against my better judgment, I'll say true. Rousey stops Cohea within the first round. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I would favor Cruz over Dillashaw if they were to fight your end. I got to see Dillashaw again. Excuse me, I got to see uh, Cruz again. Uh, Luke Washington enjoyed Ariel's interview with CM Punk. I still have not seen it yet. I've been meaning to watch, but it's like 45 minutes. I barely have any free time. Luke Struve is currently 27 years old. What do you think his chances are of becoming the UFC heavyweight champ one day? Very low, extremely low. Um, how do you see Robbie Lawler versus Carlos Condit going? Man, it's a good question. Um, that's a really good question. I see it being very competitive. Uh, Lawler's defensive wrestling is phenomenal, but that won't really play a factor here. Um, I think he excels better against Southpaws, but Carlos Condit switches back and forth. Um, Condit would probably excel. Here's the problem with Carlos Condit. I think he would excel at kicking range, but I think he's a little bit of an inaccurate striker, especially early. I don't think Lawler is. Um, however, Condit's chin is ridiculous, as we've seen, maybe better than Lawler's. I think it would be very competitive, very competitive. We saw, we saw that the front kick to the abdomen and then the combination off the hands uh, with the ending with the high kick was a big was a big success for McDonald. I think to some extent that could be duplicated by Condit. Um, I think Condit misses a lot. I think he'd be, he can be countered a lot because he is so rangy, especially with big punches. But he's always sort of game to keep going. So um, I would favor Lawler, but that is a very, very competitive fight. And if you favored Carlos Condit, I would understand why. Is Baharath versus Shield a World Series of Fighting 22 the best stylistic and competitive fight this week? Uh, probably. That's a fun fight, man. Two guys who are just primarily kind of one thing. One guy who's one thing with inside of one thing, you know, a heel hooker, basically. The funny part about, like, Paul Harris is he's not a, he's not a toehold guy, you know. He's not – Jesus. Breaking chairs, y'all. Oh, there we go. That's fine. He's not a toehold guy. You know, he's not a straight ankle guy. He's a straight ankle guy just long enough to set up the heel hook. He's just a heel hook wizard, man. He's the Eddie Cummings of MMA or something, right? Um and he's so brutal with it. Like, he's so ridiculously brutal with it. I mean, he does have some other submissions. He's got arm bars, um, you know, but he's got obviously some chokes to the extent that he needs them. But he's he's a, he's an ankle lock guy. If you guys recall my interview with um, with uh, Riley Bodycomb, a technique talk that I did, it's just that becoming a heel hooker, it, it, it makes you like a one-note guy, although there are different heel hooks. There's the normal heel hook, then you put it across the body, bring it the other way. Then there's the well, actually should change hands this way. It should be the um, uh, inverted heel hook, two different kinds, two different setups. Um, in MMA, you can reap the knee. You know, IBJJF stuff. You can, there's no knee reaping allowed, so um, it's a little more opportunity for him. 
But, you know, I'd be surprised if Shields gets caught. I think when we went back and watched Fitch, Fitch got overconfident with him. I didn't think it was so much of a skill differential as it was mental. I don't think Shields is going to do that. Um, and Shields is probably a better grappler anyway than John Fitch. But, yeah, that's a, that's a fun fight, man. I like watching these guys who are, like, just kind of good at one area versus and against the guy who is just kind of good at one area within one area. I mean, he's better than that, of course, but you get the idea. Um, that, to me, is always kind of really fun, you know. All right. Wizards in NBA. How do think the Wizards will do next year? Uh, I like their backcourt very much, but not impressed with the front. I also think there isn't much depth, and the truth is gone, too. Do you think they could repeat next season, or could they get even better? I don't know. I don't know what to think of Oubre Jr. I also, I also feel like everyone's like, he had success at uh, NBA Summer League. Success at the NBA Summer League means this. It means nothing to nothing to me. Not saying he will do poorly, uh, just doesn't mean he will do great. So we'll see about old Kelly Oubre Jr. Truth is gone. Um, there was talk about getting rid of Nene. Um, I don't know. I think I'm still waiting for Bradley Beal to turn a corner. I think John Wall is, you know, to me, he didn't make the all NBA team, which I think is ridiculous, but be that as it may. Um, you know, he does, he's not the score that. Uncle Drew is, but he the numbers show he's a better distributor of the basketball. Sorry, he is. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with, with what they can put together. I didn't love the Ubre Jr. signing, but you know, we'll see. Uh, how about Real Madrid this season? I like what Benitez is doing so far, huh? Just letting Ronaldo and um, and uh, Bale roam up top. You should all see my boy Hamas's goal, too. Was in the game for five minutes. I hit a golasso free kick. Ridiculous. Called that joker in the upper left-hand corner. I like Isco, man, but I'm so tired of everyone being like, well, it's going to be Isco or Hamas. No, it's going to be Hamas. Just we can end that debate now. Um, fight Pass. How long does it take for Fight Pass? Excuse me. How long does it take for Fox Sports 1 fights and pay-per-views to get put on Fight Pass? I think 60 days for, um, although that was supposed to be only 30, but 60 days for pay-per-view. I'm not sure about Fox Sports 1. You guys might have to clarify that for me. Okay, Dominic Cruz. On the MMA Hour, um, Luke, what did you think of his quote-unquote honest opinions on Dillashaw, Alpha Fail, and the whole Bantamweight division? Did you agree with his points that Faber doesn't want to fight Dillashaw because he's afraid of losing? What's your take on Dillashaw being a wannabe and not believing in himself? Do you think that Cruz is just self-promotional that he's just forgotten? So I think there was a lot to that. First of all, I loved it. <laughs> I usually don't care about trash talk stuff. And if they never trash talk, I wouldn't care. Like, like did Felder and Barboza trash talk? No. And it was still an incredible fight, right? It was still amazing. Um, so there's that. But okay, Cruz is going to mix it up a little bit. I think there's a lot going on with Cruz. I think partly he realizes that the game has not passed him by. I would not say that at all especially how he looked against Mizugaki. But I think he's a little worried about it. Like, he's been really kind of off the mat now, even with the Mizugaki return, for just way too long. Like, we're just having discussions where he's not involved. I mean, he is – that was part of the in, point of the interview was he was going to force himself back into the conversation. But, you know, he's really, really suffered from his absence there. I mean, there's just no getting around that. So I think it was partly that. Like, let's, let, let, let me make sure that people just don't forget what's – what time it is here kind of kind of scenario. 
I think second, he probably believes some of these things, maybe even irrationally. Some of the, like, remember, fighters may believe a set of things, some of which they could prove to you rationally, a rational, relatively impartial observer, some things they believe to be true and they, they can't prove. And that can be to their benefit and both their detriment. It all depends on what the outcomes are that they achieve. But never let someone's, never let a fighter's irrational belief count against them too much. You hold it against them a little bit. You should never accept it. But always understand there might be a larger purpose to the irrational believing. Okay? So um, I'm sure he does think, I mean, he's, you know, I mean, he said some crazy things. You know, about TJ Dillashaw and about Dwayne Ludwig, how he could be Ludwig's coach. You know, I mean, crazy stuff, right? Um, to some extent, I think he actually believes that stuff. To some extent, I think he's just trying to reinsert himself in the conversation. To some extent, I think he's trying to hype people up. To some extent, I think he's trying to, you know, to the extent possible to play mind games. To some extent, I think he was probably just angry and lashing out. He almost sounded a little bit, not jaded, but like chip on his shoulder-ish. Right. So I think it's all those things. I think it's all those things. I do think he believes he can beat TJ Dillashaw, you know, and I'm sure Dillashaw thinks he can beat Cruz. I do think he believes that this title they're fighting for is illegitimate. Um, it's the actual title since he got stripped, but you get the idea. He never lost. So it's all those things. And where it begins and ends can be very difficult to parse. And where it stops and starts, I don't really know. And it's hard to say. But if, if you heard some of his stuff and you were like, okay, he made a fair point there. And then you heard some stuff and you were like, all right. I mean, lighten up, Francis. That's fine, too. You know, I think it's all those things put together. I know this. Whatever you also think of his ability, the guy is a total scientist up here when it comes to fights. A complete scientist. Um, the question is, what's left of his body to bring these ideas to life? We're going to find out. And I can't wait. Uh, okay. Rousey versus Tate 3. I wonder when you were going to ask about this. All right, here we go. Despite UFC and some journalists constantly lauding Tate for lasting three rounds against Rousey, as far as I remember that fight, it was Rousey dominating pretty much the whole fight and Tate mentally breaking and pretty, pretty much giving up in the third round. Well, that's not correct, but okay. And while Tate's fight planning has improved since the fight, Rousey also seems to have evolved greatly since then. That's true. Now, I'm not asking should I care about them fighting for a third time if Rousey beats Correa, but rather that considering both of their improvements since the last fight, how likely do you consider that fight to be competitive this time around? Am I being too negative towards Tate if I don't expect her to do anything better this time around? No, I don't think you're being too negative. I mean, saying she mentally broke, I don't think it's true. I mean, not wanting to get your arm snapped in half to me is not mentally breaking especially how many times she's been putting those back. Look, you can say whatever you want about Misha Tate. Misha Tate's a warrior. She's a straight-up G. That's what she is. You know, the, She's fought everyone they've asked her to fight. She's fought the best. She's lost to some of the best. She's beaten some of the best. Um, she's, she's incredible. She's taken a shot to give one back. She perseveres in fights. She doesn't let negativity get to her. You know what kind of struck me, too? I don't... I don't um, I don't follow any. I don't follow hardly any fighters on Twitter. Maybe Nurmagomedov. I think I follow Rousey. Maybe a couple of others. But I on my Facebook page, I'll tag them. Um, you know, when I'm writing a post, 
Misha Tate has like a million likes on Facebook. Now, Facebook, you can buy a bunch of those, but that would be very expensive to do. Um, I think her pop, she's just more popular than people want to give her credit. I think inside the MMA bubble, there's a little bit of like dismissiveness over what is perceived to be her delusions of grandeur. And that's fine. But I, you know, I don't expect her to beat Rousey if and when they fight a third time at all. But I have a lot of respect for, for Misha Tate. I have a lot of respect for what she's accomplished. I have a lot of respect for her character in fights. I have a lot of respect for her self-belief and her willingness to push herself to greatness. You know, however false however short she falls, you really, you know, Michelle Tate really is a credit to combat athletes everywhere. And I think if you have a harsh opinion about her, you may want to ask yourself why. Is it over some reality TV show nonsense? Because if you just watch her fights, she's a beast. She's a beast. And she has, she's a high character fighter. Um, and I say that with all sincerity. That being said, skills win fights. And I just don't see, to your point, you know, yes, Misha Tate's evolved, but so has Ronda Rousey. And more to the point, one thing that Tate just can't match up for is the speed and athleticism and explosion of Rousey. And that's not just when Rousey tries to lock up and throw. For example, I mentioned before, if Tate throws a combination of one-two or a one-two-three, right, when she's at the end of her combinations, her retraction out of the pocket is really kind of slow. Um, Rousey, for her problems, gets in and out of the pocket quickly. Now, not so much in her early fights, but much better recently. Her distance management, you know, when she wants to get in, she gets in. And when she doesn't want to get in, she's really kind of, these days, much more disciplined about staying out. Now, it's been hard to see in the last couple of fights, but trust me. Um, and you can see the the work that Edmund Tarverdian, uh, uh, God damn, I always mispronounce his name. Um, Tarverdian always does in in how she attacks at different spaces. Um, and you just see that's where being explosive matters. You can get in, you can get out. You can get in, you can change angles. You can get in, you can change the attack. I just feel like Rousey's much, much, much better about that. And that speed differential is going to kill Misha Tate. Um, not quite, not literally, but um, from an outcome standpoint, she just can't make that up, you know. Uh, fights to make. What is the fight to make for those guys in their return? So you say Habib Nurmagomedov. Um, God damn, I wish that cowboy fight had been made, huh? Uh, any top contender would be fine with me. Uh, Islam Makachev, you know, another donk to give him experience. Ali Bagautinov. Ooh, that's a good question. Um... Would you want to give? Let me look that up. Who would you want to give Ali Bagautinov to? Let's see. You could do Moraga. Wouldn't be a bad one. Um, Omari Akhmedov. I don't really care. Rashid Magomedov. That's a different one. What would you give Rashid to? Um, good question. I would give you like old Rashid.
Um, so where's he fighting now? He's fighting a lightweight, yes? Yeah. I don't know, man. Nate Diaz, that'd be kind of fun. Daniel Dariush, I don't know. Somebody good. I think he's ready for it. Um, Zubaira Tugugov, uh, I don't believe in much. And then Ruslan Magomedov. Um, Ruslan. I don't know. This is, I'm spending too much time on this question. All right. What percentage of MMA fighting content is UFC-based? Probably a healthy portion. Like I mentioned before, man, like this talk about I'm going to boycott the UFC. No, you're not. Not if you're a real fight fan, you're not. Because um, you can't. Because that's basically like I'm going to give up on things that I like completely. You know, I, I just don't buy it. Unless you have like a true, deep-seated moral objection to it. Um, but anyway, that, that's because it's just such a key component of the sport. So probably a huge percentage, you know, upwards of 80% or something. If UFC somehow crumbled and closed the doors, would MMAfighting.com find itself in a little bit of trouble? Depends on how things were rebuilt afterwards, wouldn't it? Uh, Rousey after Cahea Tate. Assuming Rousey beats both Cahea and Tate, who do you see the UFC is going to build to be your next challenger? I do not understand why this is such a big deal and why we're in conflict here. It's cyborg, man. And this whole thing about we can't make a catch weight, I think, the, I think you, someone make an argument to me that you can get cyborg down to 135 without a doing an unhealthy cut or b affecting her performance oh i would love to hear this argument would love to hear this argument the idea that you're going to get peak cyborg peak you know you know when i say peak i don't mean like everyone's shooting up with steroids altogether. you can get a different kind of peak i mean within the boundaries of the agreed upon rules you mean to tell me you can get peak cyborg at 135 nonsense total nonsense and we see how much the 10 pounds makes a difference to people like hannah morale or Dustin Poirier, right? We went over this argument already. This is ridiculous to me. Make the fight at 140, and let's just get it over with. Like, if Rousey loses, so what? First of all, I don't know that she would lose. In fact, I might favor her at this point. But, okay, fine. Let's say she loses. Is anyone confused about who is the queen of 135? Rousey is beating these competitors in the time it takes you to yawn. Like, this is such a silly argument about, well, there has to be a title on the line. Why? Why? She's over here crushing people who took up athletics later in life while she is a lifelong world-class athlete. This is taking candy from a baby over and over and over and over and over again. And you're worried about the sanctity of this title? Forget that title. Make a fight that matters. Make it at a catchweight. Boxing does it all the time, and I get it. There's the titles of the WBO, light welterweight, you know, uh, interim Belt doesn't mean as much. I, I, I get it. But we're not – this idea that will somehow – her status as, like, you know, the queen of the bantamweights will somehow be challenged to me just seems totally phony and totally ridiculous. You can make the weight a huge part of the promotion. Everyone can know what it's about. I'm sure some casuals won't, but it won't matter. It won't matter. It won't hurt Rousey. It won't hurt UFC. It really, really won't. She can always go back to 135 and then start dominating fools again because there's no one there short of an accident who can touch her. And maybe Cyborg can't touch her either. Maybe you make the fight at 140, and she goes in there and steamrolls her. But I'm sorry. We talk about no more IVs and all this weight cut. You want Cyborg to go to 135, you are, A, either asking for a tremendous weight cut or you're asking for a diminished performance or you're asking for both. 
And it to me is ridiculous. She is not a bantamweight fighter. She is not. 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 She's a featherweight fighter and maybe a 140 fighter, and that's about it. So you make the fight at 140 and you stop worrying about all the sky will fall, you know, uh, uh, potentialities. I don't buy any of it. I think it's a total nonsense argument. I don't think you should accept it. And I think this this concern about what to do with Rousey and how it doesn't make any sense to go fight at a catchweight is is I don't buy it for two seconds. I don't. It, it makes that much sense. None. Zip. Zilch. Make the fight. Make the fight. Let's stop pretending the world is going to end if somehow at a catchweight Rousey loses. I don't buy it at all. UFC sues Vanderlei for intentional misconduct. Luke, it has been reported that the UFC is suing Vanderlei. What do you know? What can you tell us? I have not looked at any of the documents. They're not available online. Um, I can tell you nothing about that. Except to say, um, I have a hard time understanding why you kept him under contract. You know, you, he's banned basically for life. He doesn't want to fight with you anymore. The only thing he can do is go sign autographs at Dave and Buster's. Uh, you know, the, yes, you have the, like, that you have the legal right to hold on to him only speaks to the fact that the contract may be onerous. Um, and otherwise, even if it's legal, is it ethical? Is it ethical to hold on to a guy like that? You know, is it ethical for Vanderlei to make those statements if he has no proof? Absolutely not. And UFC has every right to defend itself, of course. I mean, let's be real about that, you know. But just for, but, but before, he was just making critical comments. You know, he wasn't. He wasn't making comments about like illegality, right? Um, and you're, you know, the, you're preventing the guy from signing a contract. And even if he goes and fights for one FC against commission rules, so what? Like, is that going to change the world? It's not going to change the world. So to me, you talked a lot about not keeping guys in the contract who don't want to be there and this that, and the other. You have a guy you literally cannot use, and you're only holding him there because he, you don't want him to sign autographs at Dave and Buster's in the middle of nowhere. That, that to me, you know, there's a real question of fairness there. I think. Um, it's 2.15, so let's look at the Twitter machine, if I can. How much of a chance does Cejudo have against Benavidez? I think pretty good. Not great, but good. Someone says, you are Zangief. Someone called me that in class last night. Can you believe that? How would Misha Tate fare in a 145 versus Cyborg? Not that great, I don't think. At least not great early. <coughs> Is it just me or people assuming that Claudia Gadelia will beat Jessica Aguilar and face Ioana Jacek next? I think there is a lot of those assumptions going on. Yes. Looking ahead to this time next year, ignoring possible injuries, who will be the top two guys in each division? Why, why do people ask this? Okay, guys, assuming in 10 years we know nothing about how the sport's going to be, um, which form of the modified guillotine will be utilized in women's atom weight fighting in non-contender bouts on main cards on fight pass? I don't know. Uh, let's see. Please list top three fighters you'd like to see fade or face, UFC or otherwise, and GSP should he return. So Couture, I'd like to see. 
I like to see Arlovsky. And I know people are they're angling towards a Kane fight. I am not, man. I am not angling towards that at all. Uh, um, not Mark Hunt. I guess Verdum, you know. Although I think Verdum would tear him up in the clinch. Which is on a scale of impotence to Viagra, how excited are you for Poirier Duffy? I'd say full on Cialis. Have you seen the real slow mo compu box numbers for Mayweather Pacquiao? I have not. Please link me. What would a third loss to Ronda Rousey do for Misha Tate's career? It would solidify what we already know. I don't think it'd be hugely damaging. No one expects her to win. People are kind of you know, not upset exactly, but not overly enthused. She's going to get a, a shot anyway. It would, you know, it would solidify the sort of Rich Franklin status of things. But you know, being Rich Franklin's a pretty awesome thing to be. True or false? Dana steps down as president of UFC by 2017. False. Uh, Ronda Rossi competed at a higher weight class in Strike Force and the Olympics. Why isn't it brought up in the cyborg debates? It is brought up, which is why the thing's a total smokescreen. I mean, I understand you want to have, to have a sanctity for the title, but if she loses outside of her weight class, that should not be held against her. Like, uh, I mean, I know it's not the same thing, not even close. There's bigger stakes involved. But, you know, if you're the medium heavy champion like Leandro Lowe, and you go and then you lose to Bernardo Faria in the absolutes, no one thinks you suck at medium heavy. <laughs> you go right back to medium heavy, and you keep passing Keenan Cornelius's guard. Like I just don't get it. But okay. Mighty Mouse beats Dodson comfortably in his next fight. Should he go up to one thirty-five if he beats if he beats Dodson? No, there's still some work to do there. Uh, I read the updates about the Monopoly case that BE posted yesterday. Can you put it all into layman terms for us? If you're talking about the motion for uh, to stop the, dis the U UFC, okay, there's a thing called discovery, and if it was discovery, some things would be made public about, and look, depending on what you, they make public. But what they're asking for in discovery is for information related to the financials of Zufa, how much they make per event, how much they made on events, both from um, merchandise sales to the gate, and how much they had payouts and and how much they made off one fighter at one event, all, all kinds of different permutations of how they make money, how much, and what split goes to fighters, right? There's all different ways to parse that and figure that out. Um, Zufa tried to file a motion to get the, that, that process, the discovery process, dismissed. The judge rejected that, meaning it, will, it has at least the potential to happen. doesn't mean it's going to happen, but they tried to get the whole thing thrown out, and the judge said, no, we can't throw the whole thing out. That's all that that means. doesn't mean we're still going to get the discovery, just means that first challenge to stopping discovery uh, has not worked. How probable is a Gino Carano return at this point? About as probable as me being UFC heavyweight champion, which is to say, not at all. Um, so, so this is to put these into perspective for TJ Dillashaw. TJ Dillashaw is the first fighter to land 100 strikes in four straight UFC fights. His output of 5.79 strikes landed per minute is the highest rate in UFC WC bantamweight history. And Dillashaw's 3.16 strike differential rate 
is the highest margin in bantamweight history and fourth highest overall in UFC history. Um, and then also it's added, he owns the UFC single fight record with 76, excuse me, 76 significant ground strikes landed against Watson, Walel Watson, I believe. And he hasn't been taken down in the UFC. The numbers show him to be rather remarkable. That he hits you often, he hits you cleanly, he doesn't get hit nearly as much. He is hard to mix it up on, right? Can't take him down. Maybe you can control him for a little bit. Um, and he has an enormous volume of offense. Like it, it is, I don't know what other perspective I can share necessarily, except to say, you know, all this sort of indicates he lacks the one punch knockout power. But if you're not going to have one punch knockout power, this might be this might be superior to it, and if it's not, it's certainly right behind it. Um, this is an incredible, incredible way to exercise dominance. I'm going to overwhelm you with strikes. You're barely going to touch me. You're not going to be able to mix it up, um, and I'm going to be so good that other divisions won't be able to keep up with the way in which I'm beating my contemporaries. That's pretty impressive, I think. GSP and his Condit comments. Luke, GSP recently said Carlos Condit is the most dangerous man in the, in the division and that all the opponents who he would want to fight again uh, are all those he would not want to fight again. It would be Carlos. George described Carlos as a nightmare. Uh, why do you personally think GSP said these things about the natural born killer? One, because he was unpredictable on the feet. He dropped St. Pierre, caused him a lot of problems. And then when he was able to take him down, um, remember, remember, his guard was really disruptive to St. Pierre. St. Pierre was not able to do a whole lot to him on the bottom. So he was able to win enough on control positions. But I think what George felt was like precarious the whole time, you know. Um, not like, you know, not like things went awesome with um, Hendricks. But for some reason with Hendricks, maybe he feels like, you know, I was at the end. I wasn't motivated anymore. Um, things would go differently a, a second time, whatever. But it was just, you know, if you're going to be able to control someone on the ground um, or take them to the ground, but you, you can barely, you know, maintain any order there, that can, that can be troubling for you. It can be exhausting for you to do that, you know. Just just trying to to find a balance and to put them in a position where they can't do much to you is, is not good. Why do you try to keep the Monday morning analyst under half an hour? Because I have no time to do anything. Would Tate versus Zingano 2 make sense to decide who gets Ronda next? No. Zingano just got housed. Stitch firing. Now that a week has passed, in my opinion, it appears that Stitch made an attempt to increase pay for himself and for all the cutmen for lost revenues. Firing the top vocal senior member of a United Front appears to be classic anti-union for Tita move, probably an indication of how a fighter's union will be treated. Well, no, I mean, if, the, if they're actually united and there is a union, they have to go through the union to get anything done. Um, I, I wouldn't say that. Uh, here, here's Stitch's point that I actually never made on the last one, which is that, like, not only are we wearing Reebok gear insofar as the vest is concerned with little Reebok, we're not getting any money. Like, you can complain that the guys in the UFC aren't getting very much money from the Reebok deal, and they're not, but they are getting paid, right? You, if you fight, you get paid. Like, that, 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 that's the trade there. Cutman got nothing. <laughs> Yeah, nothing. They not only had to give up their sponsors, they got no cut of that deal. Um, I can see why you'd be a little upset. 
Uh, Dominic Cruz discussed his footwork on the MMA Hour. See, he said he will lead TJ into traps and TJ won't be able to hit him. Would you be able to give a short breakdown of what makes Cruz's footwork so special and different than TJ's? First of all, recall that I did a technique talk with Dominic Cruz on footwork. I encourage you to go back and read that. That's the first thing I'd say. Second thing I'd say is um, I have to go back and watch to be a little bit clearer about it um, before I spoke out of turn. So I'll just leave it with that. One brings up the five path survey, which we've already been over. Uh, what did he really say? Jonathan Snowden, the lead writer of Bleacher Reports, says there have been thrown fights in the UFC. Well, it's not actually what he said. He said there's thrown fights in MMA, but okay. Do you think there have been fixed or thrown fights? Um, look, even if UFC is not in on it, and I don't think it ever would be because I think they get it. That's just, you know, once you cross that line, you can never go back. All it takes is one person to be in on it for it to work. So here's what I would say. Uh, there's no way in my judgment the UFC would ever fix fights, ever, ever in a million years. It would it – would Totally shocked me if that were true. I don't buy it at all. But if you watched MMA generally, the chances you've seen a fixed fight are almost guaranteed. It's just almost guaranteed. Meaning one person could do it, the two people themselves could do it, um, whatever the case may be. But that you've seen a fixed fight at some point is true. That you were able to recognize it is a totally different thing. A totally different thing. I made this point with the Kimbo, the Kimbo Shamrock thing. People think these two are just like, talking in public, you know, not concealing their felony behavior in front of the world. It's like, it's like you've seen a fixed fight. You just didn't know because the donks who were doing it concealed it because they don't want to go to jail. All right, what else? Someone's asking a CM Punk, Yoel Romero. Oh, you must be kidding. Okay. Look, why does the UFC and Ronda love themselves some convicted rapist woman beater, Mike Tyson, but trash Mayweather every chance they get? They both serve time and they are doing better now as far as we know but one is a rapist woman beater and the other is just a woman beater which i know both of them are bad i'm not defending floyd like they say over the other podcasts just saying stuff well a couple of things i think mike has had a long tour of atonement not so much for those crimes actually but um for the rest of his life he has had a huge amount of atonement he has suffered financial ruin mayweather is not mayweather has been utterly unrepentant for all things in his life that he's done um, multiple convictions or at least multiple accusations and some conviction. Um, and, you know, he's just a very dislikable guy. I think, I think whether you buy the contradiction or not, uh, or the recompense, Tyson has at least tried to foster an identity of, of uh, rebirth and renew and um, kinder, gentler, self-aware kind of thing. And, I think that has allowed some people to move on. Whether or not, I'm not telling you you have to or you don't. Uh, I'm just saying that there are some differences, even if in the end 
Some find them trivial and some find them to be monumental, but you know, we'll see. All right. One more real quick and then we got to get out of here. I don't know the answer to this. Florida gets no respect from Fox. Look, it seems every time there's a UFC event on Big Fox, they never air the prelims in Florida. Pretty effed up that paid subscribers have to resort to illegal streams to watch the fights. I thought they might change this after the first occurrence, but it hasn't. Number one, are there any plans to fix this? Probably not. And two, are there any other markets that are dealing with this besides Florida? Uh, I do not know, but I have heard that there have been. Uh, someone says, update. UFC told me it's not a mistake. Fox doesn't buy the prelims for Big Fox in Florida. Florida's a pretty big market for MMA. Weird. Especially since they'll show it on the guide channels. We'll record it, but it gets the news instead. Fox sucks. His word is not mine. I don't know. What says, are you surprised UFC 189 did a million buys? It did higher than I thought, for sure. For sure. Um, it's very, very good. It means It means Aldo McGregor might do 1-5, you know, with the right kind of card and everything. Maybe maybe more than that. Um, you know, Conor McGregor's just a machine, man. You put that guy anywhere, and it's just like a bonanza of interest. It's I told you guys when he did was on Fight Pass, I was shocked at the traffic. I was like looking at it, being like, "Oh my god, how are we getting this much live traffic for a Fight Pass show?" Well, the answer is Conor McGregor. That's what. All right, guys, give it a thumbs up with my bumpy knuckle. Look at those knuckles, banged up, son, banged up in the cut, huh? Give us a thumbs up. Uh, share this far and wide. I'll get this up on iTunes pretty quickly. You can subscribe on iTunes or on SoundCloud. You can follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. If you email me in the last week, I'm returning emails tonight and tomorrow. So don't worry. I will respond. I appreciate all your correspondence. Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. Until next time, stay frosty.